Morning, church. It's good to see all of you. My name is Keith, lead minister here at North Bullet Christian Church. We're so thankful that you have gathered with us this morning to sing and worship together and to receive God's Word. Uh, yesterday was a kind of tumultuous day for me as a pastor as we witnessed uh, the world around us divided, uh, buildings burning and disunity across our great nation. So I wrestled for most of the day on whether or not to stick with the original plan and move on to the next verse in Mark, like I promised uh, last weekend when we deviated the pathway a little bit. But God persisted, and I learned that there were prayers going on among God's people that I would be able to discern God's will for this morning to speak uh, to the situations that we're seeing arise across our country. And so, spent the better part of yesterday afternoon wrestling over a uh, text to preach from and landed in the book of Romans. So if you could turn in your Bible to Romans chapter 1. We're going to be focused in chapter 1 and then skipping to chapter 15 at the end. As you're turning there, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do love you. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for this opportunity to gather with God's people, singing praises to you and resting in your word, the instruction of your word. Lord, our our hearts are heavy this morning as we look across our nation and we're divided people. We see the destruction in the cities. We see the hurt and the pain. We see the distrust. God, we pray that you would heal this nation through the power of your gospel and through the presence of the church in this time. God, that your fame and glory would grow out of the ashes of hatred and destruction. God, that you would help us to not be resistant to your spirit, but to be in alignment with your Holy Spirit and and seeing the actions that we need to take as the church. Lord, would you move for your glory and your glory alone. In Christ's name we pray, amen. We cannot ignore the issues at hand. A protest, riots, and unrest rage in every major city across America. Why the unrest? The death of Ahmad Arbery on February 23rd brought to light a few weeks back in a chilling video of his murder. The death of Louisville's own Breonna Taylor on March 13th, which has also recently been brought to light, has ignited a fire of unrest among racial lines throughout our country. While many of us enjoyed the beginning of the end of distance living by celebrating Memorial Day, with a small cookout with family and friends last Monday, a man lost his life on the asphalt of Chicago Avenue in Minneapolis. As Officer Chauvin kneeled on George Floyd's neck for eight minutes. For those of us who have stomached watching the video, uh, the last words of this man will haunt us. I can't breathe until finally calling out to his mother 
George Floyd cried out, Mama, I'm through. Floyd called out for his mother who had passed two years earlier. A stark reminder of the final words of many of our soldiers in uniform who die in the battlefield. Ask any military nurse and they will confirm that many of those who pay the ultimate price of our freedom with their death utter a cry for who? Their mothers. As life leaves their body. And today, church, we lament. We grieve. We sorrow with the broken, the hurting, and cry out to God for mercy and understanding. We bear our broken hearts for the loss that our country faces. As followers of Christ, we are called to stand for the oppressed and the voiceless. We must acknowledge that people of color have been at a systemic disadvantage for generations in our country. We lament the devastation to our cities in the wake of unrest. As we watch the news and we see buildings burning and rocks being thrown through windows and property destroyed. We lament a growing distrust of those that are called to protect and serve who by and large are good men and women, but whose reputations have been tarnished by a select few. We lament that segments of the church at times have been on the wrong side of this issue. Today we dwell in sorrow as we look at the landscape of our great nation. And I think we can agree that our nation is torn, it's tattered, it's divided, and seemingly hopeless. But we, the church, followers of Christ... Do not grieve as people who have no hope. That's what God's Word says. Because why? Because the Gospel changes everything. So the only hope that we have is the Gospel. The book of Romans is a treasure within our Bible. The context of this book, if you read the history behind it, hinges on unrest along ethnic lines within God's church and is a case study for un overcoming unrest by what? By the power of the gospel. And is an example of unification and the unity within the body of Christ that people of different racial backgrounds, economic backgrounds, genders can come together hand in hand, praising who? The one and only Savior, Jesus And the hope is, through the gospel, that the world that is divided and fighting would see the church as a place of unity and reconciliation under the lordship of who? Jesus. It brings us to our first point, Christ the reconciling king. Christ the reconciling king. God's word says this. Chapter 1, verse 1, we'll read to 6. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, hear this, set apart for the gospel of God, 
which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. It was to always come to pass this way. The Scriptures point to the Gospel. They point to Jesus. Verse 3, concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his what? Resurrection. From the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about, hear these words, the obedience of faith for the sake of His name, among where? All the nations, including you who are called to belong. Jesus Christ, this is the word of the Lord. The Roman church is thought to have been planted out of the wake of Peter's sermon at Pentecost. By the power of the Spirit, many Jews heard the good news about Jesus Christ in power. As these Jews went back to their daily lives and headed back to their hometowns, they established churches. One of those is the church in Rome, thought to have been primarily a Christian church at the beginning led by Jewish leadership. But things changed. In AD 49, Emperor Claudius, tired of squabbles with Jews in Rome, issued an edict that required all the Jews to leave Rome. In a matter of moments, the church in Rome, once led by Jewish Christians and Gentiles, there was Gentile Christians in there too, is instantly in the hands now of Gentile Christian leadership. No Jews remain because they were kicked out of the city. But over time, this is the context of this book, over time, Jewish Christians made their way back to Rome and back into the Roman church. And so you had Jewish leadership establishing this church, Gentile leadership taking leadership because the Jews were kicked out, and now you have Jewish Christians coming back into the church. Do you see where issues can begin to stem? Do we acknowledge that? Thus the occasion for Paul's letter to the Roman church. How then do those with varying viewpoints and ethnic backgrounds live together in unity? That's why so much of the New Testament is about that word, unity in the body of Christ, because it is a picture that is otherworldly to the community around us. Everybody wants to be right. We divide over things. And yet the the church of Christ is a picture of what? Unity in the midst of so much difference. We've seen this play out in our, our church. This is real talk here, okay? My last name is Rodriguez. There's probably 2% Mexican, Hispanic people that live in Bullock County, I think was the last numbers that I looked at. And yet, a Rodriguez has been called to the pulpit to lead this church. Isn't that amazing? That's a picture of the diversity and unity of God's church that some guy from Southern California is called to Shepherdsville, Kentucky to pastor this church. And hear this, and to love, I love you guys deeply as my own family and I have felt the love of family from you towards me. The unity of the body of Christ in the midst of diverse backgrounds. Like, I've never eaten a turtle out of the river, okay? 
kind of freaked me out when one of the elders started talking about eating snapping turtles. Like, what? I don't even know what those things are. They look like dinosaurs, but I'm not going to eat one. <laughs> so how then do these, with varying, back to the Roman church, how then do these with varying viewpoints and ethnic backgrounds live together in unity? The answer, here it is. The gospel changes everything. It's the gospel. Paul's inference in his opening greeting is this, that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is Lord of all. He is the one King who wants to bring all people under this, His one reign. Again, hear these words, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all nations, including you who were called to belong to Jesus Christ. All nations, let's contextualize this passage for our country, for America. The Lord desires to bring people of all colors together. All ethnic backgrounds, all social backgrounds, all economic backgrounds, together under the banner of Jesus Christ. Unified under one gospel, and what a beautiful light that that is, the unity of the body of Christ shining in the darkness of the disunity that's all around us. And how does the Lord do this? Through the power of the gospel. You see, Paul follows this passage up, moving to verse 16 one that I have repeated time and time again in here. He says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God for salvation to who? To everyone. To everyone who believes. And I love how he breaks this next section down. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. Who are the Greek? The Gentile. Everybody else. The pathway to salvation is open. The Gospel of John famously declares after Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus that we must be born again. And he follows with this statement, John 3, 16 and 17, For God so loved what the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. God desires that all peoples be reconciled to Him through the blood of Jesus Christ. Church, we are people reconciled under the King of Kings, Jesus Christ, called to love as God has loved. His Word conveys that His people are different. They're set apart. We see this in the Old Testament. They're Provisions in the Old Testament law that the Israelites provided for the foreigner and the oppressed. They were to leave part of their fields for people passing through to be able to pick food. And here, that's revolutionary. It's something that I labored to grow that I got to share with other people. So 
It's revolutionary to the world system that surrounded them. Moreover, the church, because of the power of the gospel, has been and will continue to be a global force for good. A shining example of reconciliation, of living under the lordship of Christ. A global force for good in the cause of the oppressed and the poor. You see, it's real popular nowadays to bash the church because if we look at our past, there are times where mistakes have been made. But for the most part, if we look at the world today, most of the good things that have been brought about were from Christians, were from the church. Again, are there moments that segments of the church have a checkered past? Yes, but by and large... Christians are a force for good. We should desire to be a force for good in the fight for racial equality in the United States. That should be something that burns within our heart, that we see equality, we see hatred dissipate, and the fame of Christ grow. And the example of that be right here in the body of Christ. That the world would see people with different backgrounds, different colors, different economic statuses, different educational backgrounds together, locked hand in hand, praising the same Jesus Christ. Unified. Fast forward in Romans, turn to chapter 15. I love this book. We will cover it one day, and I think it'll take me 15 years to get through it. But it's okay, because we got all eternity, right? But today we're super condensed. Now we're going to look at Christ, our example. Christ, our example. The context of Romans 15. Okay, Paul spends the first 11 chapters of Romans unpacking his opening greeting, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. He unpacks all of that. The remainder of Romans from 12 on is his practical instruction on how we act within the church. It's our response to, now, the Lordship of Christ in our lives. Chapter 14 is incredibly practical. It encourages unity in the fellowship using a meal as an example. This is how, church, you're going to get along around the fellowship table and eating dinner. And it's such an applicable example to all areas of life. We pick up in Romans 15, 1-7. Christ, our example. 15, 1 says this, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself. Hear these words. Christ, our example, For Christ did not please Himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. That's a radical statement. 
For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have, here's the H word, hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such, here's another H word, harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Just as the Israelites were God's set-apart people in the midst of the pagans of the Middle East, God's signpost of hope, the church is the example of Christ set apart in the midst of a broken and fractured nation as a signpost of hope among the divisions in our country. We invite people to come and be a part of people who are not fractured among racial, economic, and educational lines. Where, as James push, puts it, partiality is not present. But equality, love, peace, and unity reign among God's people. You see, Jesus chose to be unified to us in a radical way. That He would leave the glory of heaven that He would come to earth, that He would put on human flesh, that He would live the perfect life in full obedience to His Father, that He would be sinless, and that He would be placed on a cross with nails driven into His hands and His feet. God's Word again says, "...the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on Me." Our reproach was placed on Jesus on the cross. He bore the weight of our sin. His back was ripped apart for us to unify us. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that he became sin. He became a curse for us. That we might receive what? The righteousness of Christ. God didn't have to do that. He is fully in His right to exercise His wrath on sinners and to condemn everybody. But He chose in His gracious, merciful love to reconcile those who would place their faith and trust in the work of Christ. Jesus could have left us under the oppression of sin, but Christ did not please Himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Church, we should in part look at our society and feel the feelings of the oppressed and strive in ways to align with them and to care for them and to minister to them. Because of what Christ has done for us. Our next point, Christ the hope of nations. Christ the hope of nations. 
For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order, hear these words, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. What is the hope? Is the hope of the unity of bringing the together of people that God's plan was always to save. He says to Abraham that his, his descendants will be like the sand on the seashore and like the stars in the sky. Who can count them? That many from different backgrounds would be reconciled through Christ. And it's because of that hope that we should be stirred because Jesus freed us from the oppression of the enemy, the oppression of sin, and has brought us into light that we desire to see those systemic issues in our society that oppress people, that those be dissolved and that they be reconciled in the light of the gospel. That we be people of peace. That we hurt for the broken. And there are many broken people. There are people broken over racism. There are law enforcement officers broken over what has happened over this past week. There are small business owners across our cities that are broken because their livelihood has been ripped away from them. And so church, we, my desire, and I think the teaching of Scripture is that we lock hands, we stand hand in hand under the banner of Christ, the banner of of the gospel, and we show the world a better way. We show the world that we align ourselves with those who are broken and oppressed, those who are being pushed down, those who are hurting because they've lost everything, and we show them the hope of the gospel. We show them the hope and the love of the unity of the family of God. So how do we respond? This week has been a troublesome week. Anybody with me? Yeah, the last two months have been troublesome, and then we arrive to Monday, Tuesday morning, wake up, see what's going on with George Floyd. My heart's broken. Seeing how the week progressed and protests and riots... Everybody weighing in their feelings on social media. How do we respond? How does the church respond? The first thing we do is we lament. We lament. I think we've, we've lost this ability somewhat in our I want to be happy and feel good all the time culture. 
You know, give me a pill so I can feel better. Give me something to drink so I can feel better. I don't want to face the pain. But sometimes, church, we see God's people in His Word just curled up in the fetal position on the floor with His Word and weeping, not understanding what's going on. And that's okay. It's okay to cry out, Why, God? Why is this happening? So we lament what those who are hurting. The second thing, second way we respond, we listen. Listen. Listen to those who are hurting. Lend an ear. I've learned a really important lesson in 17 years of marriage. Us guys love to fix things. Even in conversations with your spouse, you're talking through things and she's talking to you and if you're anything like me, it's like, oh, you should have done that. You shouldn't have said this. You should have been quiet there. Hey, let me give you advice on how to handle that. There was a real important response that I received from my wife. I can't remember how many years ago this was, but she said, Keith, would you just shut up and listen? (laughs) Right there. Anybody been there? Right? Trying to fix all the problems. I just want you to be quiet and listen to what I have to say. Yes, ma'am. Sometimes we're so quick, we want to try to fix this and fix this and put a band-aid over this. I can remember a, my secretary at, at my last church, late 20s. She had a boyfriend she was madly in love with. She, uh, they were, they were going to get married. They hadn't gotten engaged yet, but you just knew. They just, they just fit together. And I got a phone call one night that he was driving to go, he was a teacher, he was driving to go teach a class. Some lady decided to get on the road drunk. Came around the corner and wiped his car out. He died. And I can remember our pastoral staff going to the hospital. The hospital was right down the street. Basically what had happened is We knew that the young man had died, but they had not yet told the family because they were waiting for his father to come, but they had let some of the pastoral staff know, hey, be ready. He he passed away, but we're waiting for the family to come so we could tell him. So we sat there with that burden. And I can recall when the pastor that was closest to the family came out and gave them the news, looking to my secretary and seeing her just double over in pain and and weep. You want to know what I did? I didn't say a word. I just sat there and listened. It was the best thing I could have done. Because anything I would have said right then and there would have just been cheap. And we sat there and we surrounded her and prayed quietly to ourselves and we just listened to her 
weep and pour our heart out in disbelief. Church, sometimes we just need to do that. We just need to be quiet and listen to what someone's gone through. We need to be quiet and listen to what they've seen. We need to be quiet and listen to what they feel like when they walk down the street and someone sees them based off the color of their skin and they walk to the other side of the street. Sometimes we just got to be quiet and listen. The last way that we respond is love and empathy. Love and empathy. Love is our action. What then are we going to do about the tension that exists in our country? I don't know. These things have been going on for hundreds of years. But what I can say is that we're going to love people and we're going to keep our eye out to take one foot and put it one inch forward to try to work to bring about equality across our land. Not for some political movement, but for the glory of Christ. Because that's what Christ has called us to do. The other thing that we're going to do is we're going we're to empathize. Okay, empathy is deeper than sympathy. Sympathy is just, I see you crying, so I'm, I'm one of those guys. I see people crying and I start crying. I don't even know what's going on. Anybody with me on that? I'm that guy. Empathy is deeper than that. Empathy is putting your shell, yourself in somebody else's shoes. It's saying, I want to feel what you feel. You see, Christ did that. He empathized with us because He felt what we felt. He walked where we walked. He felt hunger. He felt pain. He felt relational betrayal. All of those things. Our Savior is empathetic with us. We, in turn, are empathetic with others. I want to feel what you feel. Again, God's Word, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. I want to empathize with you. I want to feel what you feel. I want to feel what you feel. And so what we're going to do is we're going to spend a few moments in, in prayer. We're going to pray for these things. We're going to pray for George Floyd's friends and family. We're going to pray for Ahmaud Arbery's friends and family. We're going to pray for Breonna Taylor's friends and family. We're going to pray for those affected by the riots and the destruction of property and small businesses. We're going to pray for our law enforcement officers that they would have courage and restraint and that there would be healing among the people and the authority. This one's hard, but we're going to pray for... We're going to pray for Officer Chauvin. That he would find Christ. And then we're going to pray for the church. It would be a signal on a hill shining brightly in the midst of darkness. 
After that, the band's going to come up and we'll receive communion together. Let's spend a few minutes of just prayer. Heavenly Father, we do love you and we thank you for your grace and your mercy. And Lord Jesus, our hearts are heavy. God, we grieve because of the loss of life. We grieve because we don't understand the, the divide that exists. We grieve because we know that you look at the sin that is bursting forth out of this and you hate that. Lord, we grieve. Father, we pray for our brother, Mr. Floyd. God, we pray for his pastor who is brokenhearted right now as he has seen this man lose his life. We pray for his family, his girlfriend, those who knew him that are grieving right now. We pray that you would bring them hope and healing in this time. Lord, we pray for the family of Ahmad Arbery that you would bring healing in that family. If they don't know you, that they would see the glory of Christ in such a tragic situation. Lord, we pray for Louisville's Brianna Taylor, God. We pray that her family would be reconciled to you if they have not. Lord, you don't waste anything, and we, we know that you are going to be good out of this. We pray that we would capture a glimpse of that. Lord, we pray against the violence and the unrest that is occurring in cities across the United States. We pray that you would bring about peace. That those who feel like they've been silenced for too long would know that they have a voice and they have people that are listening to them. God, we pray for the families of those who own businesses that have been destroyed on the heels of this pandemic, God, that you would give them the hope of Christ. Lord, that the church would be there side by side, cleaning up the broken glass and the rocks. Lord, we pray for our police, our law enforcement officers. God, would you give them courage in this time? And with courage, Lord, would you bring about restraint and understanding and when to act? Would you help them to feel appreciated in the midst of this and to know that our prayers are with them? God, we pray for the officer that was involved in taking the life of Mr. Floyd. Lord, we pray as he is behind bars, God, that you would open his eyes to your grace and your mercy and your glory, that he would repent and receive forgiveness. And that through those types of powerful pictures that your fame would grow. that our nation could see a man that his heart was hardened in that moment 
be softened by the power of the gospel. Lord, give him a witness in that prison cell. Lord, we pray for our church and the church. God, we pray in this time that we would be a light of unity in the midst of disunity and division and darkness. Lord, that we would be shining examples of people with various viewpoints and backgrounds and ethnicities, economic upbringings, different ages, different genders coming together, locked arm in arm and hand in hand, praising our Heavenly Father, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. That you would give us a small glimpse of what your word says. We declare this in Revelation 7, 9, after this I looked. And behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. God, that we would declare that and that the world would look upon the church Lord, that revival would spread across this nation and that you would bring about the healing of your people. Lord, would you bridge that chasm through the power of the gospel. We pray these things with power through your name, the name above all names, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, we pray through Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen.